Well, good morning, everyone. It's a real joy to be here. More than you know, I, um, you didn't know this, but I have been praying for you for about 15 years. I'm going to try to stay composed the best I can. That ever since I met Ryan and Sarah Beebe, and had the privilege to be their pastor for several years, help train Ryan for the ministry. Uh, I have been praying what church out there gets the enormous blessing that he gets to go be their pastor one day. And I can honestly say before God, I have prayed that for the last 15 years. So there is a providential plan at work before you knew it, and you're a part of it now. And uh, I was a pastor for 25 years, pastor of Auburndale, where the babies were with us for 17, I was there 17 years, they were there about five years with us, and in our 17 years pastoring that church, uh, Ryan and Sarah were two of my wife and I, our dearest friends we've ever had at the church. So those of you, as you continue to get to know the babies and enjoy just the, the reason and the, the fact that God has brought them here, I just want you to think of me and imagine yourself being me. I got to be their pastor for five years. And that was, to this date, one of the greatest joys I ever had as a pastor. So I'm going to try to compose myself to preach, but I want you all to know, uh, in a very biased way, what gift you have. And I have thanked God, uh, as I've heard about you, and how you all have loved them and cared for them. Just God's plan is so sweet and kind, and is better than our plans, which is going to be part of what we look at as we open the word together. So would you do that with me? Let's turn to the passage we just heard read, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and if you keep your Bible open to Luke 1, find verse 67. We're going to look at that passage again in a moment. Luke 1, you find verse 67. And I want to share with you about a friend of mine who is a, one of my dearest pastor friends, very gifted preacher and, and pastor. Without any warning, last year, he lost his voice completely. He had, a, he had a neck surgery done because of a car wreck that he had been in, that they were repairing some things. And the way they went in through the front to get to the, to the aspect, the part of the neck, there's a 2% chance a 2% chance that your vocal cord becomes paralyzed by the procedure. And if you do this guy, this is kind of what happens to him. He's the 2% guy on the side effects. And he comes out of that surgery, and it paralyzed his vocal cord. And without any warning, my friend could not speak. He's a pastor of a local church, preaches every week. He has a ministry where he travels around and speaks at other events and things. And without any warning, he couldn't do any of it. And so I helped, uh, in part, he was, he was this way for about six to six months, so they couldn't do anything with it because they have to wait to see if the vocal cord will repair itself. So they can't do any procedures. So he had to wait at least six months, and they walked through all that with him. I helped preach in his church and, and fill the pulpit in that way. And six months in, they were finally able to do a temporary procedure to at least restore one of the vocal cords to where he could finally, he could whisper. That's all he could do up to that point. And when they did that procedure and he could speak, I was there the first Sunday he preached. 
And man, it was powerful. I mean, it was just, it was stunning. The, the power of the Spirit was, was clearly there. But you also cannot ignore what happens to a preacher who is silenced without warning, who then all of a sudden gets to preach. And it was, it was about as powerful as you could imagine it was. I could imagine, as we look at this passage, that that was the experience that people had with Zechariah. Because what we didn't read in this background is that Zechariah was, was silenced. He could not speak. And we'll look at that background in a moment. But when his tongue is loosed, that's what we heard. We heard read a moment ago in this prophecy from the Lord about showing his divine plan that he's had through the ages that's about to come to pass in the pinnacle of the coming of, of the Messiah. So a little background, though, for those maybe a little unfamiliar with this. This is a time period in Luke chapter 1. Herod is king, a pagan king all throughout the land. Zechariah was a priest. His wife was Elizabeth. They were advanced in age, so she's barren. She cannot have children. And an angel appears to Zechariah and tells Zechariah that Elizabeth will bear a son in, this, in her old age. You see that in chapter 1, verse 13. So if you want to read that this afternoon, those are the details you'll find. And they say that they're, he's to, they're to call this child John because he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah questions the angel, probably like any of us would, and silences Zechariah and says, you will not be able to speak until this child is born. And that's what happens. So Zechariah is silent for that entire time. And remember, he was a priest doing priestly things in the temple, and he couldn't speak. So he's writing on a tablet to communicate with people. Is what we find here in these early chapters early portion of chapter 1. What we find later in chapter 1 that Elizabeth bears a son, just like the angel said. They name him John. Now there's no family link to the name John in their lineage. So everybody's questioning Elizabeth. Why are you calling him John? That makes no sense. Back then it was very important, still is today in a lot of ways, that we name the next generation after our kin. So they're questioning and they go to Zacharias. She wants to call him John. What's going on? And he writes on the tablet, his name's going to be John. And when that happens, his tongue is loosed. And this passage that I'd like to read again is what comes from, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this prophecy really referred to as a song of Zechariah. I would like to read this again for us. Verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy 
of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. This song of Zechariah, it's a, it's a word of salvation. Isn't that what we celebrate here at Advent? It's the salvation that has come in the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. This is looking forward to that salvation that's to come when we read this, when Zechariah speaks these words. It's a word of salvation that the Savior is about to come. But it's the same word of salvation for every one of us today as we now read this passage and look back and see where the salvation comes from. So, if you're taking notes, writing things down, this song of Zechariah, I think it reveals three truths as we read this passage and look back. Three truths about God and about his plan for salvation. Three truths about about God and about his plan of salvation. First truth, number one, God has an unwavering plan. God has an unwavering plan. Zechariah first refers to God's plan and promises from of old. And did you notice that? The, the plan of salvation, it didn't start at the birth of John. It didn't start at the birth of Jesus. It started long ago, long before this time. Look at verse 73 with me. The promise, there's a promise to Abraham of land and descendants. It's a promise to David. Verse 69 is mentioned. The prophets of of old are mentioned in verse 70. So this promise that there will be a king, a redeemer, a savior to come from this line of Israel, this chosen one would come and save his people from their sins. This is a plan that goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. And notice that this is the plan that Zechariah refers to in verse 68. We take your eyes to verse 68 when he says... He's pointing to this when he says, he has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 69, he's raised us up, raised up a horn of salvation for us. Verse 72, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Even though there's been a plan, even though we're coming into this plan right here and seeing it, this plan already started, just like I referred to before. Your new pastor, this has been in the works a lot longer than you knew. And all of you have stories about your own life in that way. That you started to see God's hand of providence all over your life. That he was doing things in your life you didn't know that was preparing you for the next thing. He does that for all of us out of his mercy and his kindness to us. God has a plan. He has a plan for salvation. We see it here clearly. It's unwavering. But he also has a plan for each of you. And it's unwavering. It's part of being in Christ and what he is doing in each one of us who know Jesus. So God has this unwavering plan. Number two, the second truth that we see about God and his plan for salvation is God is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises. Did you see and notice in this passage, 
in this song of Zechariah, there's tons of references back to the way God's been faithful to previous things. Look at verse 72. He showed the mercy promised. Verse 72 again. He remembered his holy covenant. Verse 73. He swore an oath to Abraham long ago. He's still fulfilling that oath now when we read this. Look at verse 74. Deliverance so we can serve him. God made all these promises and he's either fulfilled every one or he is in the process of fulfilling every one of those promises right in this moment when Zachariah's tongue is loosed and he speaks this. How do we know he's fulfilling this promises that he's given Abraham, David, the prophets of old? Because this all leads to the sending of his son, Jesus. Everything points to him. Everything that was promised to Abraham and to David, to the prophets of old, was all pointed to this this Savior, this Redeemer who would come and save his people from their sins. So John is being born, and his sole purpose is to remind everyone that Savior is coming. Zacharias, in a sense, in this word, He's waving a banner, really, to everyone, saying, my son's on the way, and he's going to point to that Redeemer. So God is faithful to his promises. Third truth, the third truth that we see about God and his plan for salvation is that God executes his plan through messengers. God executes his plan through messengers. The prophetic voice of Zechariah here is speaking about his son. And John will be, look at verse 76, John will be the prophet of the Most High God. Verse 76, he will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And then we see what John's ultimate purpose is when he grows to be this prophet. Look at verse 77 to 79. I'm going to read this again because this captures what John's purpose is just as John is being born here. Verse 77, John is to... to give knowledge of salvation <coughs> excuse me to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit where in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace in other words the candle we just lit hope Peace, that's what the Savior brings and was promised. Knowledge of salvation to his people. Do you know there are people all over the world who have absolutely no knowledge of salvation? And yet here, John is going to bring the knowledge of salvation to his people. Forgiveness of sin because of mercy. To give light in the darkness, light towards the place where there is death. This is the message of salvation, and this is exactly what Jesus brings and what John is pointing to. And this remains the same salvation offered to every one of us who place our faith 
and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Because see, he was born a little later. Same circumstances in many ways. But he was different than John. That he was born and he lived a perfect life without sin. And then he died on the cross bearing the wrath of God for our sins that we deserved, not him. And then he was raised from the dead to vindicate that work and to give us eternal life as the only one who can provide that for us. And now he reigns even now at the right hand of God, ruling over all the nations, waiting to return again for us. That's what Zechariah is pointing to. It's, it's here. And they're looking forward to Jesus coming. But we look back and, and see he's come already. We have everything we need for salvation, for forgiveness, for mercy from God. Everything promised here, we have in him. But this child that was born of aged, barren parents... That's who God used. It wasn't a, a rich king. It wasn't somebody that everybody would notice. You read the descriptions of what John the Baptist is like as an adult. Talk about the weirdest, quirky guy in the room. And certainly we know the humble means that Jesus is born in. God you, executes his plan through specifically called messengers to accomplish his purposes. And that is, those messengers are appointed to uniquely bring the good news of, of Jesus to, to the nations. So how do we, do, how do we look forward and, and embrace this plan of salvation and the implications of it? Three things I want to give you, just kind of as a way of, of practical application of this passage. What, what do we do with this? Okay, this is great. Zechariah speaks in this way and points to the Messiah, and we look back and see the Messiah, but what, truth, what do we see out of these three truths that helps me tomorrow? It helps me when things are going on and uncertainties in my life, and I have no idea why this is happening to me, why things are going the way you say they're supposed to go. So how do we look forward, basically, and partake of the plan of salvation that is promised here? Three things I want to give you. Number one, trust God's providential plan for your life. Trust God's providential plan for your life. I have news for you, friends. His plan was unwavering here. And some of us might be thinking, oh, well, yeah, he's not, he's, Jesus is coming. He wants to make sure that doesn't get messed up. No, his plan is unwavering because he is a sovereign God who loves his people. And he's always at work doing exactly what he wants to do. That plan is still unwavering. That's something for us to read here and see it is unshakable and it is still the same unshakable plan being played out now. Because if God can rule in such a way in this time period, remember Herod is king. Don't you think it would be better and easier for God to wait for maybe a little bit more moderate king to be on the throne before he has John come and Jesus come? No, he, he does it purposefully so that everyone knows that God is on the throne and even the most wicked pagan king cannot thwart, even tried to thwart as we know the, the narrative of Jesus being born. 
God has an unwavering plan. And he's calling us to trust in that. Because did you know that that plan is for you too? It's the same good, providential plan that God has been doing throughout the ages for his people. God's sovereign and mysterious hand is always at work and that we are tempted to doubt when we don't know what he is doing or why is God allowing this to happen. But even though we doubt in those moments, even our doubt does not change the reality that his will is being accomplished in an unwavering way. And that's to give us hope. It is to give us peace today. 30 years ago, let me give you a glimpse of my life 30 years ago. I declared to all my family and all my friends that I knew of one thing I was certain of. There's no way God was calling me to be a pastor. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that the joke is on me. I want you to know I knew it. You know, in that bold 20-year-old way, you know everything. You know it? I knew it. I arrogantly told everybody, this is, I know that's not God's plan for my life. In the last 30 years, not only have I been a pastor for 25 years, but for the last 15 years as I started and lead this ministry called Practical Shepherding, the last 15 years, I've actually pastored pastors. Joke is on me. Can we agree? And it is a more glorious plan I could have ever made for myself. A more joyful plan than I could have ever created for myself. And God is working his plan in your life in the same way. Just because we don't know what comes next, just because we don't understand maybe why we're in the circumstance we're in now, does not change that a good and merciful God is at work in your life. And you can trust that. You can trust that he's at work and that he's good and that he's merciful. And nothing happens outside the scope of his will for your life. God has a plan for you and me, and it's better than it would be for any of us. That plan shows to be for Zechariah, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, and all those who even followed to lead us to this moment where we have knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the mercy of God that we sit in in this moment. Trust God's providential plan for your life. Number two, look unto the one who brings salvation. Look unto the one who brings salvation. It is What is undeniable when Zachariah's tongue is loosed is that God has a plan for salvation that has been in the works for generations. And it centers on the Messiah being promised to come when John now prepares the way for the Messiah to come. So this child that's mentioned here, John, is to go prepare the way. Look down at verses 77 and 78 again. He is to prepare the way and give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. This prophecy would be perfectly manifested in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. See, Zechariah is pointing forward to show the, where salvation comes. But for us, we're looking back now, but seeing the same salvation and where it comes from. And it leads to forgiveness of sin 
peace with God. Resurrection power that we will then gain in eternity and the promise of eternal life. The salvation promised here, long awaited for them. We have and will experience when Christ returns and takes us to be with him. Look unto the one that brings salvation. And there may be some here who, who thinks there are other ways to salvation. But it's really clear here the only way to salvation is through Jesus, the Messiah. Only he could satisfy the wrath of God on sin and bring forgiveness of sins for us. He's the only one that lived a perfect life that then gives us the righteousness that we can stand in by faith before God. He is the only one who can give us peace in this fallen world when everything in our life is in turmoil because we can trust he's at work and he knows. Jesus is the only one that can bring this salvation. So look unto him. Fix your eyes on him, as the writer of Hebrews says. And look to him for salvation and peace and hope. And it is by faith alone. So if there's someone here who has not placed their faith and trust in Christ, you can look unto him now for salvation today and find it and find that rest. The final way we can experience the salvation now is to embrace your role as God's messenger. Embrace your role as God's messenger. So I just mentioned look, look unto Christ, and now those of us who have partaken of that salvation and forgiveness, we are like John, like Zechariah. We are messengers to point to Christ now. That's what God calls us to. This is the sole purpose. Did you see that in 77 through 79? That is John's calling. And we have but one purpose here on this earth. And that is to point to that one too. As we look back. We see this pattern all throughout the New Testament. Don't we? Even after Jesus comes and ascends to the right hand of God. For the last 2,000 years... God has appointed messengers to come and do one thing, and that's to point to Jesus, to point to the Savior. So then what's our purpose in life and death? What's our purpose to be? To fulfill God's calling as an appointed messenger in this fallen world. That comes in all kinds of different forms and and fashions, but that is ultimately our call. To be messengers on behalf of Jesus who has provided the salvation for us. Well, what, you might ask, well, what does that look like? Well, it simply comes from a desire to be useful to the Lord with open hands, to be willing to just do whatever he might have for you that day. I think a lot of times we see this and think, well, this is about evangelism. Well, it's certainly tied to evangelism, sure. But I think there's so much more to being useful in the Lord's hand, to be his messenger in this fallen world. Certainly part of it is to, to go and share the gospel with others. So for some of you, this being a messenger might mean sharing Jesus with a family member, an, an unbelieving friend or, or neighbor. And that you're, like Zechariah, a mouthpiece to bring the truth of God's word about the gospel. But it could also mean 
that you care well for those precious children in your home. And you make sure that there's no confusion or doubt about what this time of year is about in the midst of so many things that try to confuse them about it, about other things. You're God's messenger when you bring the truth of why we celebrate Advent and why we celebrate this time of year. Grandparents, you can do the same thing. To help those grandchildren to know what this time of year is really all about. It's about pointing to the one who was to come and bring salvation. For some of you and others, it might be to simply be kind. Could we agree this world would be a better place if we were just kinder? If you think I'm exaggerating, feel free to spend a little time on social media. Maybe you are the appointed messenger of God to go be kind to that grumpy neighbor or difficult church member in your own church. Just to be kind, to be gentle, to be compassionate towards hurting people. Do you realize you are God's messenger carrying the name of Christ and pointing to him when you love people like Jesus loved people? Maybe for you it's going to help somebody who's in need. God just lays on your heart. You have some means. You see that someone's struggling, and you're able to go help them. You are being God's appointed messenger, just like all these others for the last 2,000 years have been, that point, ultimately point them to Jesus. If you are in Christ, without exception, you are called to be a messenger of God. And you've been called and given the knowledge of salvation, you've received that salvation, and now your call is to go and to be that mouthpiece, to be that messenger. Like Zacharias, like Elizabeth, like John, like Peter, like Paul, like the person that showed you Jesus in your life, like the person that shared the gospel with you first. I, I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel, but I heard the gospel at a young age through my elderly Sunday school teacher as a child. Do not underestimate how God could use you as a messenger. But make no mistake, that is your call. My life with the ministry I do and the travels and different things I do, I, people ask, what's a, what's a normal week for you? It's like, I really don't have a normal week anymore. I'm not, because I'm not a local church pastor anymore. <clears throat> but I wake up every morning not knowing what the day holds for me. I've got things planned. But it is so helpful in my time in the Lord to say, Lord, make me useful. That's all I want. It may be in a totally different way than I think it's going to happen, but just make me useful to you. And I believe, friends, that's really all he's calling us to, to be a messenger of the king until the king returns for us. So let me take a moment and pray for each of you that God would give you wisdom to know what that is for you this holiday season, these next few weeks. So let me pray for you. Lord, I'm, I'm just I'm aware of your kind providence 
in this sweet church and hard things they've been through. As a church, hard things they've been through personally in their life. So I just want to thank you for your providential care, your sovereign rule over their life and over the life of this church, that you would bring them to this day. For the BBs to be here, for each one of them to be here this day, and the hopefulness of indeed what you want to do in this church in the coming days and weeks, months, and years. So Lord, make each person who know Christ in this room useful in your hands. Help us to be open-handed on what that is. Help us to be humble enough to recognize we may not have any idea what that is going to be. But out of our hearts to want to honor Christ and follow Him, that you would help us to hear your voice, to follow Christ, to obey your word, and make us useful messengers in your hand, we pray. And as we point to Christ, may the knowledge of salvation be known, not just in this community, but around the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.